Well, it's a privilege to get to share with my home church, as told my wife and a couple others. Uh, I've spoken in some pretty large venues, and uh, no place makes me more nervous than my home church. Uh, I woke up, uh, I have had a, I had a cold two weeks ago. It sounds like a bunch of Russians have walked through my throat. Uh, I feel absolutely fine, uh, but I sound pretty uh, groggy. My wife said, no, it really gives you some really good gravitas, so don't worry about it. Uh, for you guys who uh, have recently been coming to the church here for the last three or four years, uh, you might not realize how unique this is uh, to be part of a church that sends its own people out. Um, I've been in hundreds of churches, literally, uh, teaching and preaching and things like that. And to, to be in a church that continually sends its own um, Man, I can't help but remember when uh, Beth and I were standing up here. It was actually January uh, 1979, uh, 43 years ago. And this church was sending out so many of its own. I went to Claremont High, graduated there. It's a local kid, grew up surfing here. And uh, man, God got hold of my heart. I got saved in this church. And uh, Bob and Cecile, uh, Cecilia Brown were standing next to us because we were sending out so many. We, we commissioned them two at a time, two couples at a time. Uh, we don't do quite that many anymore. Uh, but again, to be part of a church that just continually does that and to be a part of a church that funds that, man, to see how Nathan has taken the reins of the missions committee, how this church, man, Kenny, this church could not do what it does without having a senior pastor and associate pastor uh, that stand behind it 100%. And without people uh, energized to really complete the Great Commission, it's very special what we have going on here. Uh, being part of a commissioning service, to me, it, commissioning services are kind of like communion. We do communion once every month. We decide that, you know, and that, that works for us. And it's an individual time where we remember the death and burial of the Lord Jesus and, and the, the life that we have. And we reflect on that individually as we hold the elements but this is something that we do corporately. And it brings us back to our purpose as a church. What are we about? Yeah, we need to do it well here in Claremont. Yeah, we need to be good participants in life here in Southern California. But we do need to carry out the Lord Jesus' command to, to take the gospel to the very ends of the earth. And this is a real visual Sunday where we get to actually see that lived out. When uh, this couple, sounds so sterile, uh, this couple was down at Radius, uh, they went, we went through a, a bunch of courses, a bunch of modules. One of the modules uh, that we go through down there is uh, called the Theology of Suffering, because they need to know what they're getting into. And one of the uh, lives that we go through in great detail is a guy named Adoniram Judson. And this morning, I just want to uh, read to you, uh, he was the first American missionary sent out, okay? And this was a big deal that he was going to be heading to Burma. Uh, they had to go through India. Of course, they had to go by boat. And there was Adoniram, his wife, and four other men. And uh, three of those men were, uh, were married. So there was uh, eight eight individuals, well, nine individuals. But I want to give you a, a sense because, uh, again, being the very first that America sent out, uh, it was a huge thing. The British had been sending missionaries for quite a few decades, if not centuries. <clears throat> As news of the missionaries' imminent departure spread, public interest quickened. Long ocean voyages were an old story in Salem, Massachusetts, but always with a home and a fat profit to be anticipated at the end of a year or two. The missionaries, however, were making a one-way trip. They planned never to return. They had martyred them to anticipate with the only possible prophets, the glory of their souls and the salvation of a few heathen. They included women too, and so young. One of them was only 17. The most impressive part of the ordination 
And in a way, its soul is the laying on of hands, and we will do that at the end of the service. As a prayer consecration is said, when the time came for the five missionaries and the audience knelt, they only considered the husbands, the males, missionaries, the wives, they weren't not considered. That's a little uh, peek back into time. The moment was too much for the audience. An irresistible sighing and weeping broke out. It had been heard before, but from now on, the entire rapt congregation seemed moved as the trees of the woods are moved by a mighty wind. Pent-up emotion can no longer be restrained. Then the guy who was officiating, he said this, We are not insensible to the sacrifices which you make or to the dangers and sufferings to which you are devoted. You stand this day a spectacle to God, to angels and to men. You are in the act of leaving parents and friends and country. You are but the precursors of many who shall follow you in this arduous and glorious exercise. For the gospel shall be preached to all nations and all people shall see the salvation of God. And it was true. Uh, Every one of those couples uh, laid their lives down in Burma. They all died. Uh, We don't have to look at that uh, as uh, consistently in this day and age. The world's turned over a lot. Uh, Medicine, travel, communication have changed a lot of things. But at the end of the day, the same sacrifices that those eight would lay their lives down and many, many others in Burma. We've lost our own people overseas. Man, it wasn't that long ago that we had Chris standing here. And, uh, and, and they have had to look that in the eye. And there have been sleepless nights as we've walked through Judson. We've walked through Tyndale and being burned at the stake. We've walked through John Payton losing his life. Uh, we've walked, again, Judson's sacrifices, uh, losing his first wife after 14 years in Burma. Finding another wife, Sarah, and uh, losing her after 10 years. All of Anne's first children, all three of them died. All of his kids. Uh, the sacrifices that are in front of this couple are many. They will be different, most likely, than Judson's. But they know this. What are we expecting out of them? We expect them to stay and get the job done. We expect them to stay until there's a church planted, until they've learned the languages, they've gotten the diseases, they've raised their kids, they've gone through innumerable diseases and visa issues. And we expect them to stay. We expect them that they will be discouraged at times. Uh, we expect that in the course of the many years they're away from us, they will want to come home occasionally. And they will have great reasons to come home. Oh my gosh. I remember after Beth and I had been on the field for 15 years. And... Uh, Man, we had some really great reasons to leave. Man, we had a church planted. We had the translation halfway done. We could have come home as conquerors. But the church wasn't ready to be left on its own. And I'm sure there will be temptations. We'll talk a little bit about this morning. So what do we expect of them, man? We expect of them that they'll stay. We expect of them that they'll endure. And hopefully that will be true of us, us who send them. And I'll talk about this later on. But you know what, as we have a, a time at the end here where many will come up and then the invitation will be given for anyone who wants to do that. And we'll lay hands on them. Uh, and I remember Bob and Cecilia and Beth and I standing here right down there. And Pastor Han uh, leading the way. And uh, all the elders and overseers and many of the congregation. And uh, you know what happened, folks? I'll, I'll be honest with you. What happened? Uh, a couple of years after that, our church went into the most difficult time I can remember. And I've been a member here for decades and decades, about 178 years. <clears throat> Almost. Uh, we came into a really difficult time and we came home, Beth and I on furlough, and these folks that had commissioned us to stay, half of them had left. We'd come into a hard time. It wasn't because the Navy transferred them. It wasn't because their job took them across the country. They just found a different church a couple miles away because something happened they didn't like. 
Folks, this is a call for us and our commitment to. We're expecting them to stay. We expect them to swallow deep, go through it, go through it, and stay and do your job. What's in front of them? Man, as has already been stated, uh, they have taken great theological training. They're ready to go. They know God's word. They can explain the gospel so clearly. They know how to see men and women come to faith in Christ. They know how to disciple them to come up and grow and mature in the faith. They know what it is to plant a church. It doesn't just naturally happen. They know the various issues that they're going to have to go through. Turn in your Bible. Let's go back to Acts chapter 9 today. And... Uh, we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul. He is our great model. Uh, it's commonly said, well, the word, why do we put such a big focus on missions? The word missionary isn't even in the New Testament. It's not in the Bible. Well, we talk about apostles, okay? And actually, the Apostle Paul was our first guided missionary. Uh, his heartbeat. In Romans chapter 15, verse 20, man, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone's found, someone else's foundation. That is, in fact, the missionary call, to build on no one else's foundation. That's exactly where these guys are going. Uh, there's, in the country of Southeast Asia that they're going to, there are many churches, but not among the language group that they are targeting. And there are up to 50,000 people speaking that language, and nobody knows the gospel among those people. In Acts chapter 9, as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, we're going to skip past his persecuting of the church, Uh, but we see Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9. And uh, quickly on the heels of that, uh, a guy named Ananias was told, hey, you go down and talk to Paul. I want you to communicate to him. And Ananias was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to talk to Paul, man. I've heard some really bad stuff about this guy. And uh, anyway, God finally had to put him in a straitjacket or in a hammer lock and tap, you know, you know, throw him to the mat. And Ananias tapped out. And uh, he went down there and he talked to Paul. But the first thing we see here in chapter 9, verse 16, the first thing that God wanted to communicate to Saul was this. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. They're very well aware that their sacrifices will be many. Uh, folks, we've trained a few hundred missionaries now down at Radius. And I can honestly say, uh, we've had some folks go through some pretty hard stuff. The medical things that these guys have already gone through, uh, their, their theological training did not equip them to trust the Lord Jesus. To rest easy in the sovereignty of his hands. And they have demonstrated that they have that kind of capacity. Uh, These are solid folks that we're sending out. We've seen it. Uh, Beth and I mentor 9, 10, 11 students every year. uh, And we wonder. We love them. We pour ourselves into them. But because few of them go through hard, really difficult times. At the end of the day, we only know them at at a fairly surface level. Uh, Not this couple. We got to see them uh, not just th- survive, but man, dig deep in the Lord Jesus and his capacity to encourage them when they were going through some really difficult things. Um, that will be tested again when they get to Indonesia. And they know that this is the heritage of any gospel bringer. The Lord Jesus, just days before he went to the cross, he said in John 12, 24, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it brings forth fruit. And the spiritual key to multiplication is death to ourself. That can take a lot of different forms. But they know that they will have to accrue scars. So that the people that they talk to, they will not sound like a hollow gong, a clanging cymbal. Paul would say again and again, don't cause me any trouble. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. They'll bear his marks too. 
The people that they're going to be ministering to, they will see them suffer. They will see them wanting to quit. They will see the team. And there's two incredible couples that they're uh, joining with. We know those couples really, really well. They also went through the training. Uh, wonderful people. But they will see the struggles of that team. And they, these folks will earn the right to share the gospel. Pray for them. Uh, oftentimes, we tell students as we look out at them, we say, man, I, I'll tell them, I'm so glad I don't know what's ahead of you. It's just, it really, I don't want to know what's ahead. I really, I don't, I don't want to know the details. And right now, seen enough details, uh, talked about even before church here, uh, about um, the particulars of what's going to happen in the next three years, the next 10 years. Nathan was saying 20 years. It took Beth and I 20 years, but we didn't have to start a business. We weren't in a closed country. It could very conceivably take these guys 30 years to do this thing. It's very difficult what they have ahead. And they have swallowed deep. Uh, they've taken off their watches. They've taken the calendars down off the wall and they have really signed on for the duration. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. I hope that's true of us, folks. I hope that's true of our church. That we'll stay here. Support them financially. Support them in prayer. Remember this day when they were young and healthy and they're going to come crawling through those doors someday and they'll be in their 40s and they'll be in their 50s. I remember the first time Beth and I came back, we were sitting back over there. You guys that remember Pastor Han. Man, it's so good to have Brad and Beth back from Indonesia. Man, that, that was, cl- we were in Papua New Guinea for four years. It's great when you're seeing your pastor muffs it like that. That's their heritage. They know that. We won't do it perfectly as a church, but we're going to do it really well. I, I really believe that. We turn over to Acts chapter 13 and we see that uh, pinnacle commissioning. The very first time. In the word of God, where people are formally commissioned to go to unreached lands. What a day. And this wasn't from the mama church in Jerusalem. This is from the upstart church. The newbies in Antioch. Acts chapter 13 verse 1. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Forty percent of the leadership team of that church in Antioch They didn't have 12 apostles. They had five leaders that they named. And they sent off two of them. I remember years ago when we were sending people again and again and again. And that might be even in the mind of, how can we do this? How can we support? Now we've got this young lady here who just stood up. We've got this other couple that we know we're sending here in just a couple years. We've got these guys. How can we do this? It's costing us a lot. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? It's costing us a lot. That some of you will actually put off your retirement. Man, walking in here this morning and seeing Helen and Throckmorton. I know some of the checks those guys have written. Not just, I'm not talking $5,000 checks. And I'm not trying to embarrass them. I know how people in the church have dug deep. And there will be projects that we'll get to be a part of as these guys go out. And you're not investing in your 401k. You're not investing in your retirement. You're actually putting off retirements. Because the gospel's worth it. To see the Great Commission accomplished is worth it. And this is a church that actually lets every one of its participants have a direct part in that. We're privileged, folks. We really are. I know the general fund, a lot of it goes. But man, we have projects all the time around here. Dig deep. We're expecting that of them. Paul's commissioning. What a day. Man, this church does pray for folks to be raised up. Uh, While they were down at the radius, uh, every day we pray. Lord, raise up laborers, raise up laborers. And then on Fridays, we pray for the ones that have sent, been sent out. We pray for the ones like our young lady here 
Who's going to be down there next year? Do you know there are many ways that the, the enemy wants to discourage these folks who are future candidates? Uh, we don't sugarcoat it. What is ahead of these folks is difficulty upon difficulty upon difficulty. They don't have a plan B. These high skill set people that come to us, by the time they leave the field, their, their specialty skills will be irrelevant. They will not be marketable. Yeah, hey, who doesn't think about plan B? Now that's just not the case. Uh, they know that. And then we get into <clears throat> Paul's first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13, chapter 14. Of course, we don't have time. In fact, where is that watch? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I got to keep track of this thing. <clears throat> um, that first journey. Um, and again, we don't have time to go through Pisidian Antioch and Lystra and Derby, Iconium. Uh, the different persecutions that Paul went through. Man, he gets to Lystra and uh, at first they think he's a god. And then they turn and they throw stones at him until they thought he, they actually, let's read on down there. <coughs> Excuse me. Chapter 14, verse 19. This was typically the case. Paul would go to a place, he'd be received real well, and then the Jews from the previous town would catch up with him and uh, throw accusations at him. And this is what happens in uh, Lystra again. Verse 19 of chapter 14. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Now, folks, these people stone people all the time. I mean, if I'm, if I'm stoning somebody, I don't know if he's dead or not. I never killed anybody with stones. This is common curse back then. You can't fake those guys out. Paul was actually looking pretty dead. I don't think he was faking it. I don't think he fainted. You know, I can't even imagine what the guy looked like. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. What a model. Man, what stick to it in this? Um, I'll, I'll admit and we've sent a lot of missionaries after they've been trained at radios. We don't send them. Their churches send them. Not all have made it. Not all have made it. Uh, I could walk through a few reasons why they haven't. Things that they had not looked directly in the eye. They hadn't, they hadn't paid the price in their mind yet. Uh, there's no slam dunk individuals in this thing, folks. Uh, but Paul, again, that's the example that he gives to us. And that first journey, <clears throat> that Paul preaching, teaching, suffering, preaching, teaching, suffering, preaching, teaching, suffering. That's what we're expecting out of these folks. We're not sending them there to Southeast Asia so they can experience the wonders of the Orient. So they can eat exotic food. So they can work on their marriage. So they can have great Bible studies. Learn new songs. Tell us cool stories. We're sending them there to learn languages and make the gospel clear to people that have never been able to hear the gospel before. We're sending them to raise those new believers up to be mature. We're sending them there to plant a church. That's the goal. There'll be a lot of other stuff they've got to do, but that's the goal. And by God's grace, they will in 20 or 30 years from now. And there'll be times before that where we, we get little updates. They come back and they share how it's going. But at some point, there's going to be a church there. <clears throat> and then, of course, in verse 26, we expect him to come home. Um, verse 26, Paul's first return from his first journey. From Italia, they, sa um, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now com completed. And they had, by the time that they had come back to Antioch, they had already planted churches in Pisidian Antioch, in Iconium, Lystra, Derby. Um, Let's not compare, let's not put on this couple the time frames that Paul was able to work with. Paul didn't have to learn languages. Paul grew up speaking Hebrew and Latin and Greek and Aramaic. 
He knew those languages. They, they're going to be breaking their head against the wall, learning languages. They're going to have to start a business. Paul didn't need to start a business. Paul never had to apply for a visa. These guys have to keep their visas fresh. There's going to be so much they have to do that Paul didn't do. So be patient, folks. Stand behind them. Man, ask the Lord for patience for them and perseverance. <clears throat> and then we'll look forward to when they come back here. And they encourage our hearts. And uh, that will be a wonderful day when we get to see them again in a few years. Hopefully they'll have the first language mastered by the time uh, they get back here. And they'll tell us about that and all that went into that. And we'll realize, man, we're just starting. We're just starting. I remember when Beth and I first got to New Guinea. And we had to learn Melanesian. And then we got allocated interior. And uh, <clears throat> uh, then we had to build an airstrip. And I'm thinking, what the heck? I'm a highly trained, language-learning, Bible-translating, church-planting missionary. What am I out here building an airstrip for? And I'm seeing myself shrink. I got down to 152 pounds. I hadn't been 152 pounds since I was a freshman at Claremont High. Okay, that's like, what the heck? I'm dying before my eyes. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, our brother here was telling me, uh, I remember him shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. He got down to 129 pounds. He's now back to his fighting weight of 160. But when this first disease hit him a few months ago, uh, yeah, he, so he's experienced that. He's looked at one of the guy. There will be others. There will be others and they'll wonder, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Guys, let's keep them encouraged. Let's keep ourselves encouraged. Man, this is a long-term endeavor that we are all about. And of course, man, the, the other trials. We look into Acts chapter 15 and we see uh, amongst these new churches uh, the heresies that were arising. And uh, we won't spend a lot of time on that as Paul had to go down to Jerusalem and talk about what God was doing among the Gentiles there. We won't have to go into there. But another thing that's uh, very difficult as we look at what's ahead of them. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Paul, getting ready to go on his second missionary journey, says this sometime later, Paul and Barnabas... Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. And Barnabas wanted to take with them John, also called Mark. <clears throat> but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. <clears throat> Man, those partnership difficulties, those relational difficulties, those things that can grind you down. I remember uh, hearing about my church here, 1981. We're in the middle of our first term on the field. Hearing just vaguely, no one wanted to discourage us, realizing my church is in the process of splitting. People that we love are leaving our church. The discouragement that was to us. And yet we'd been commissioned to stay to stay, to stay. And we had just had to believe that the Lord would keep this thing alive. And praise God. Folks, we, we, we are in the middle of some golden years. I don't mean like senile, getting ready to die, golden years. But man, the stability in our church leadership, the stability that we've been able to enjoy here, the health of this church, it is really, really rare. Get ready to ride out the rough waters when, so, when the enemy throws his next left hook at us. When your favorite staff couple leave, Oh man, that, they were the only reason we're here. Or when the preaching doesn't meet your standards. <sighs> I'm speechless. I just, you know, the, the reasons that I've seen people leave churches, I could go off for like a half hour on that alone. Um, 
Let's demonstrate our maturity by staying when things aren't like how we like them. Because we expect that of them and all of our other guys that are out there and the ones that will follow them. We can't get this job done. We cannot complete the Great Commission where every tongue, tribe, and nation has access to the gospel. If we act in immature ways, I'm trusting that every person here is going to be back here in three years when they come back. Unless you go to be with the Lord. That's that's a fair excuse, okay? (laughs) And we'll rejoice with you at your funeral, okay? Yeah. And then over in Acts chapter 21, uh, turn over there if you would, if you're following along. Man, our encouragement to these guys all along and every other student that we are privileged to get to interact with. Finish well. Finish well. This church has such a great legacy. Man, the Greens, the Looses, Paul and Bella Gervasi, others that have stayed, stayed, stayed. I, you know, Paul was the best man at my wedding. I'm so humbled to have a guy like that as the best man at my wedding. Uh, this, this guy's a stud. You might not like having a conversation with Paul. But you better respect him because there is no more faithful servant. Finish well, guys. Finish well. Paul, at the end of his third journey, he's uh, in Asia Minor. He's going to be going back there to celebrate the Feast of Passover in Jerusalem. And so he's making tracks. And he, he bopped around to a few different places. And then finally, they, they land in Caesarea. In Acts chapter 21, verse 8, says this. Follow along with me in your Bible, please. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. I love, whenever I see Philip, I love it. Uh, Philip's a guy who's one of the seven, the seven deacons back there in Acts chapter six. And we see his great ministry later on as he goes down into Samaria. And then he goes off the screen. We don't hear, hear anything more about Philip for about 13 chapters. He's just a bit player like all of us here. We're all bit players. But he was a faithful bit player. We see this guy just faithfully serving years later. <clears throat> and he had these four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And after we had been there a number of days, in verse 10, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Save yourself, Paul. We love you. Save yourself, Paul. We love you. Remember after our first term, and it did not end well. And uh, man, we had uh, folks, not in this church, I will say that, but in other supporting churches, don't go back. Don't go back. One of our kids had come down with a, a really, really serious disease, and we were heartbroken. Don't go back. Don't go back. Don't go back. <clears throat> There'll be reasons, in their long journey, there'll be reasons for them to come home and stay home. But I love Paul's answer, and I know this is echoing in their hearts. We pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem, and then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Guys, I I know these guys well enough to know uh, that they're willing to lay their lives down for the people group that they are going to. It probably won't take a physical loss of life. It might, but probably not. But it will take unending years of boredom, tedium, living in the tropics, diseases for them, diseases for their kids, skin rashes that don't go away, they don't go away, kids going to sleep at night in tears. We've been there. 
the dramatic one-offs where your kid is flirting with it. We've been there. And they will go there. And that's just part of the journey ahead of them. And yet for the privilege and honor of seeing a church planted, staying faithful to the end, I believe they'll do that. I really do. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I love this as we'll close with this passage here. He asks the same thing of all of us. Faithfulness, faithfulness. Success is great. And we hope there's a church at the end of their 20, 30, 40. We hope there's a church. But faithfulness, unless the Lord God takes them out of that thing, that they would be faithful, that we would be faithful behind them. And I hope this is a Sunday that we can just go back to that. I'm committed to you. I'm committed to your people. I'm committed to your endeavor. I hope it recalibrates us all. Because it's easy to get lost in raising kids, making an income, doing a house renovation. Those aren't evil things, but they are distractions. They are distractions. And it's easy to live our life following after distraction. Paul would end his journey. Now at the end, let's be careful that we understand this. When we go to the book of Acts and we finish out the book of Acts, Paul is in a prison in Rome. That's his first imprisonment. This, he was released from that imprisonment. This that he writes here in 2 Timothy chapter 4 is as he's still, he's in the middle of his second imprisonment, his last imprisonment, the one where he would be led out and executed. And he writes this knowing he's not going to escape this imprisonment. And so it's kind of a, <clears throat> a joyous and yet heavy swan song that he writes to us here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he writes to Timothy, There was no one that he loved more than Timothy. He says in verse six, I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. The crown of righteousness. Man, reread Romans chapter four. Paul's pursuit of righteousness, righteousness, righteousness. It was driving him crazy and he couldn't find it. Except for the imputed righteousness that God gave to him via Jesus Christ and his forgiveness, his atonement. That, that crown of righteousness is the pinnacle crown in Paul's lexicon. That's what I want. I want that crown. And folks... We joke about it, but we mean it. If heaven's not real, we ought to be shutting down radius. What a cruel joke. What a hoax of a place to take young, promising people that could be doing anything in the universe and to train these guys to go out to lay their lives down. If heaven isn't real, man, it's a very foolish endeavor, what we're doing down there. But if heaven is real, to live for anything less than heaven is equally foolish. And we will be exposed what we lived for. Folks, I hope as we come up here in a few moments and lay hands on them, that we will personally, all of us, recalibrate our commitment to the Lord Jesus, our commitment to his people, the body. And Kenny can't say this a lot of times because it's self-serving. This is the body of Christ. You have been grafted in your members. You're committed to this thing. You should be. You should be. Unless your job or whatever takes you far, far away. I get that. 
Folks, I hope this call to commitment as we send them out now, and we will be sending them this morning, commissioning them. They will be our commissioned missionaries. I hope it causes us all to reflect on our commitment to our God, his people, and his purpose. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this couple. What a privilege to know them as a church, for Beth and I to know them and love them as many do. Lord, I thank you for this church. What a legacy. Uh, What a unique thing that you have done here at Claremont Emanuel Baptist. Lord, I thank you for the leadership that top to bottom supports days like today. I thank you for the continued couples that you raise up. I thank you for the couples that are on the field doing hard jobs in difficult places. Lord, the examples that they set for us. Lord, even as Judson buried so many ones that were loved by him. Lord, may may we equally relinquish those things that are precious to us for the sake of your name, your honor, your renown, that the nations might hear finally every tongue, tribe, and nation of what your son, the Lord Jesus, did. Thank you for this couple. Thank you for this day that we get to honor them, rejoice with them, and just enjoy their presence with us, possibly for the last time uh, for quite a few years. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.